0: Life after lockdown. There are, in life, some friends that you always answer the phone to. I'm not saying that uh, an icy censoring is going on, that so called friend who just sees Kevin or Magenta or Oberon come up, immaculately verbalised by an actor, on my smarty pants phone and always let it go to voicemail, a service I have to confess I hardly listen to anymore. You have 27 new messages, really. I'm not popular or even needy, and the lion's share of pretty much all of my friends, I would crawl backwards over broken elderflower cordial bottles to sip at the well of their most sincere friendshipness. But sometimes, you know, I just don't have the trapdoor to my honest soul open. It's locked. God, that's the most. Alan Partridge this podcast's ever going to get. It's less that I'm going to be bored or ratty with what Kevin or Oberon or Magenta has to say. It's just that I don't have my full listening chops activated. And today, I am only interested in those always surprising new connections, the beardy boy in my village shop who I think is called Joe, but I don't really know, and it's too late to ask. The woman struggling with her umbrella on the windy beach. She's definitely called Pam. Or Jan. Or the very vivid, sudden memory of a gone friend, like Rachel. God, I miss Rachel. The old world is no more, as the wonderful writer and activist Elif Shafak said. And apparently... After all this... I wonder if my grandparents said this after the blitz. We have to find new ways of connecting. But none of these ways are new. We just frame everything with newer, cleverer, more comprehensive and interesting tools. Anyone remember the excitement of the child-modified walkie-talkie? Where are you now? Over. I'm in the library. Over and out. What, down in Flint? Yeah, over. Nick, the joy of sex. Hard back. Large print. Over. I'm in large print at the back. Where's the joy of... Oh, the back first window's open. I've got the Blue Peter Annual and the Observer Book of Birds. Over and out. Hmm. Anyway, I answered the phone to, well, let's call him Oberon, and he asked me,
1: Why do you even do this
0: fucking podcast? Why? Why you? Are you assuming that everyone is interested in your bloody weird life? It's not like you're busy, and it's certainly not like you're fucking Jimmy Carr or whatever. Well, I said, I'm glad I'm not fucking Jimmy Carr or whatever. Least of all, Alan Carr. And we sort of laughed at me shagging Jimmy or Alan or any Carr, to be honest. But we know that's not at all what I mean here. Rob Gilbert, on the other hand. Rob Gilbert. Or Rob Rinder. My producer knows him, you never know. I always imagine I could just sit around with Robert Rinder, with snacks and wine. I like him. Well, yes, Oberon. Uh, why do I bother? Why indeed? Well, it's not paid, and I'm running out of things to say. Am I? Am I? Am I running out of things to say, Jamie? No, no, no! It's the best thing ever. It's like shouting into nowhere and everywhere it's like whooping into all of your ears it's like whispering into all your ears all the w's into all of your ears at the same time the protocol of popping out another perky podcast is that the more reviews and actual subscriptions that we get the higher up the golden podcast ladder of love our little podlet climbs get it thank you when your day is marked by the miracle that is A. Getting out of bed before the day is nuked B. Washing, preferably a shower, a hot one 3. Actually getting some clothes on and considering exiting the building These collected miracle happenings Oh, and 47,000 coffees And I may even call Oberon back, but probably not So, pff, to you, Obes Life after lockdown, like it or not, this hapless shower we laughingly call governance will have a shed load more on their hands than Covid booster shots, whether it be Michelle Pfeiffer, the one I got, or AstroTurf, my sister's chosen arm tipple. She didn't pick it, I didn't pick mine either, we don't pick them, we just turn up. The pressures on the mental health at a post-pandemic world will be unimaginably huge. And one of these ghastly Institutes 4 has predicted an immediate million, or is it 12 million? I think it could be 100 million. Yeah, anyway, 12 million notes will be needed to deal with this. So that's about four and a half spanking new briefing rooms for Blondie and his new US-style lovely assistant Allegra Huckabee Stratton to gig their latest in the litany of lies and floffle to the slavering and lobotomized poor that voted this dick dipper into office in the first place. I see thousands of them now are crying into their €12 worth of mail on Sundays in various Spanish coastal outposts. We're being bloody deported, Pauline. Hey, our Pauline, we're being bloody deported. Pauline and Jeff, poor Pauline and Jeff, in their Fuengirola villa, which is just a bungalow, which they named after their hometown, Scumthorpe. Scunthorpe. There's always something in a name if you pay attention. What are we gonna do about Pedro the Poolman, Pauline? I said Pauline, what are we gonna do? Pauline says nothing. You voted for this bloody Brexit Malarkey. So did you, Jeff says. Now look what you've gone and done. Never mind, says Pauline. We never did like Paella anyway.
1: I'll miss that Pedro Poolman, though.
0: She trails off and gazes longingly at the St. George flag, unfurled and blowing in the Bougainvillea. So, <clears throat> here we are, at varying degrees of anti-Covid jabbery, looking forward to a safe and sexy summer, and who knows, a return to some sort of, well, normal life. But I'm kind of beginning to feel uh, sort of low anxiety, not the questions over increased immunity or the unlikely hoodiness of my transmission power as a be-jabbed statistic, for one, listen to anything that the odious, rainbow-badged young Peter Pandemic himself, Matthew Hancock. I refuse to grant him chummy status by thinking of him as a mat. I know too many gorgeous mats to even go there. We're all statistics in his careerist little playbook. Thirty-seven billion, thirty-seven billion. His and Dido. Dido, really? Dido Harding's Find My Infected Friends board game. A single billion would solve, well, anything but 37 of them. It's like those teenage sleepless nights contemplating the beginning, the middle and the end of the universe. It's just impossible. My anxiety matches Mary's. Mary is 88. She's from Waterford in Ireland. She lives in the block of flats opposite my flat in London. We have had a very successful, if intermittent, friendship during lockdown. I met her at the glassware stall on the Lower Marsh Street market. I was buying a 50s ruby red decanter. Obviously. And she was talking to the stallholder who, at just 79, had, in the 80s, when he wasn't 79... An affair with my fabulous new neighbour. Oh, he used to go like the clappers. Mary, I said. Oh, you're so prudish now for a gay. Am I? Yes, you yeah, are, you know, yeah. Now let's go to Ambience. They do quinoa in a salad. She'd bothered to learn exactly how to pronounce this most odious of proteinous grain. Come on, Flossie. She has my email, which heralds the memory of my old lurcher border Collie cross flossy
1: Flossy! Flossy! What are you like? <laughs>
0: Mary's take on life is robust and unchanging, unnerving even, much like her shopping list during lockdown, which she calls cock-up-down. Cock-up-down! Which means everything to me and absolutely nothing. It's like we're in that film with, oh, you know, Cary Grant. And, oh, you know, the one that paced up and down, you know, she packed up and shagged that fucking prince over in Monaco. What's her name? Grace Kelly. That's her. I knew she was Irish. Rear view mirror. It's a great film. I can see you on your balcony now. I've got Margaret's binoculars in your pants. You have to be careful, you know, you know. That Clive is just along the landing from me and he's got binoculars as well. You're right up Clive's alley, Flossie. I'm suddenly quite stirred by the prospect that the block opposite my balcony is in fact part of MI5, or is it 6? Octogenarians sweating and spying. Back in the day, I'm sure they were dodgy ministers occupying this very terrace. Doubtless all up Clive's alley as well, binoculars or not. Mary texts her shopping list. Hairspray, cooked beetroot, twelve tins of beans with sausages in them, little ones, dried lentils, toilet paper, cheap, and mysteriously, tights. I doubt lockdown was anything that awful for Mary across the way. That was until her friend from her Kilburn High Road days, whatever they were, died of Covid, and Mary fell silent for a week. Mary's planning a holiday. Ipswich. I saw that feckin' awful Kirsty woman trying to persuade two gays to buy a shithole just outside Ipswich. Ipswich. I've looked at the trains and there's a Premier Inn. My phone rang again this morning. It was Mary. I always answer the phone if it's Mary. Molly Parkin and me. I've always wanted the white painted brickwork and the Egyptian cotton sheets of that enormous bed in that top floor industrial loft apartment with its rusty noisy elevator outside bloodied white-coated dawn workers with dead bits of cows slung over their shoulders as they pick their way through the bloody trash and braziers of 1980s New York's meatpacking district. Yep. Yep. That's the one, the apartment of Alex Forrester, or Glenn Close, the wonderful Glenn Close, in fatal attraction, a decentish, groundbreaking movie that showed us just how shit men are, somewhat flawed, I guess, by the monstery type that Alex Forrest's strange name anyway was to turn into, not happy with just stealing little Ellen away from her mum and dad but actually sticking Flopsy Bunny in that pan. I wonder how this would pan out now in the post me too movement. Surely its Lady Macbeth nods would be removed. I don't know. It used to be called madness and it's now called mental health. Quite rightly so too, but for all the support it gets with our particularly toxic government, it may as well still be madness. It is madness. I recently saw the actor Glenn Close's real home. We see lots of real homes. And it was as far from Alex Forrester's hippie monochrome meatpacking penthouse as that bunny was from starring in the sequel. And I'm struggling to get a play on Starsky and Hutch in right here. So I'll just leave it right there. Glenn has been a delight on many a Zoom, on TV shows and online actor roundtables. My, oh my, how the actor loves to talk about the acting on the Zooms. As an actor, I find. Now, don't get me wrong, I love actors. I am an actor sometimes, but let's not ever say as an actor wouldn't it be marvellous if a politician said, as a politician and not a careerist plonker with a party line line in whoring, that won't ever happen. Certainly not with this worrisome cable of ghouls. But Glenn Close's scatter cushions, her objet d'art, her flowers, her paintings, paintings you see, as I skate perilously into the latter middle years, for exactly how many 120 year olds does any one of us know? None. My paintings collected over many a year, especially during lockdown, are such oxygen. There I go, another Alan Partridgeism right there. Sorry. From the earliest smaller pieces given to me by relatives or friends, there's a beautiful little watercolour of Moylvamai, or Mother's Mount, which is a noun, you understand. That strange medium sized hill visible from all points of my childhood in North Wales. And it says, For a corner of your college room, love from Auntie Mavis. Uncle Bronwyn, Susan, and David. Now, Uncle Bronwyn, uh, for Bronwyn is a girl's name, is a genuine mistake. But it is this mistake, etched forever on the back of this gift to me from Auntie Mavis, that lifts me higher than a Moroccan frisbee. And whatever mood I wake up in, 10 minutes later, Uncle Bronwyn has sunlit the whole of my everything. Molly Parkin, artist, Author, agony aunt, fashion icon, naughty friend. I met Molly Parkin. She's a valley girl from Pontecumma. In my early twenties, I fell deeply in love. She was holding court at a party in Bethnal Green that my new friend, the singer Carol Grimes, had taken me to.
1: It would have been probably
0: mid-80s. The room was full of silk cushions and the drinks were aflow, as Molly's monologues, not a single word wasted, floated around the room, punching everyone's soul. I'd see her in cafes, writing and sketching in one of her little books. She came to my gigs. ''I couldn't stop staring at your groin, darling.'' Molly, so flirty, so real, so unfiltered and so kind. Although she dominates every single situation, she misses nothing and nobody, everything in the room counts and everyone. My favourite painting of hers is Hiraith. Hiraith is a Welsh word meaning homesick Though it looks like it means long beach. Longing for the beach. hereith. Who knows. Guess what Google is in Welsh. Google. G-W-G-L. But with a W. Yeah, surely. Trolley park is park. Trolley. Just crown that fucking definite article. It makes sense to me. Put the thing first and then describe it. And that's what Molly does. She does it with her words, and she does it with this beautiful painting, which is on my—it's in the corner of my room, but it moves around. It's an oblong canvas, and it's so rich and so of Wales and so of her and of me. It's a dark blue mountain, with lush greens, or lush greens, and dying reds. And on the back, to my darling, dearest Ian, Moll. 2012 Acrylic on Cotton Canvas, Chelsea, 2012, repeated. I see a moon pushing through the dark blue, a top-hatted dandy descending the hill in an orange frock coat. I see and feel the passion of Molly Parkin in huge, bold strokes. It was painted through the night, she told me, and she was listening to my song Somewhere Towards Love which was inspired by another great woman, the redoubtable and much-missed writer Diana Athill. Molly met Diana at a book festival, and I'm pleased to report they really got on. Molly played Somewhere to Love on her desert island discs. Why wouldn't she? I miss Molly in lockdown. I see her on the book of face, and I can't wait to see her in person in that little Chelsea garden and she'll regale with tales of neighbours, beloved friends, her gorgeous family, Sophie Parkin, who runs Vuterinis, a club, a gallery, a performance space, a naughty lounge just northeast of the city mile. Oh, Moll, I'd love to take you to that little Italian on the New King's Road. You'd sit against the wall and we'd have the prawns and talk forever. Tell me about Louis Armstrong again, fabulous Molly Parkin. And that one about the plastic sheets in the stately home. Well, you know what? You can read all about these stories and more in her many books. Rudwin Carity Cariad. That's I Love You Darling in Welsh. Moi Sous.
1: It's the space between the houses Where the sky is showing through It's the chapter in the book You didn't think was really you It's the look across a room From a man you'll never know It's a shadow in July It's a whisper It's a show On a day like any other With a half-remembered friend It's the table in the corner it's the song without an end. It's a quarrel over something that you really didn't say. It's a moment in a moment, a play within a play. Some things you can hold, tighten your hand. Some things unfold, something are planned, and sometimes beyond, sometimes above, always for you, somewhere towards love. For so the heart that's growing darker with the passing of the years, There are blessings to be counted At the end of all the tears It's the one who wouldn't leave you It's the one that got away It's the child you couldn't father The words you couldn't say It's the touch of a perfect stranger Who became a perfect friend It's the waiting for the phone call It's the card you mustn't send To the one who'll always be there When the days are getting rough The one who thinks about you But it isn't quite enough Some things you can hold Tighten your hand Some things unfold Something's a plan, sometimes beyond, sometimes above, always for you, somewhere towards love, always for you, somewhere towards love.
0: Not Even Music, written and read by Ian Shaw, was produced by Jamie Safir, Original music by Tristan Ryder.